Hello and welcome back to the Go For Two podcast. This is part two of our fantasy football special and we're joined again, as we were in episode one, by Tyler Arthur. Tyler, how you doing, mate? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me back. I'm glad that you uh, you didn't want to get rid of me after the first episode. Now, most people uh, enjoyed your rankings, I have to say. Most people agreed with you, uh, which was good. There wasn't, yeah, not many uh, people that disagreed, which is uh, a good sign for fantasy football. But I think this episode with a few more sleeper candidates might be a little bit more contentious. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, have to see. See, we'll have to see if people are still on side at the end of it. <laughs> How uh, first of all, first question: How uh, how are your personal drafts going? Because I know we're near the time now, aren't we? Uh, oh, people get well, their drafts going. Well, uh, I can confirm that my total number for the year, as we get down to the end of draft season, is that I am in seven fantasy leagues, of which one is best ball. So that's just nice and easy. Do the draft and I move on. But yeah. yeah, six leagues where I actually have to keep on top of it. So I've got two left to draft. One I'm in the middle of drafting, which is the best ball slow draft. Um, two of my leagues are IDP, which I'm delving into for the first time this year. So it's been crazy, but yeah, I'm having a good time. And last night I pulled off a crazy blockbuster trade in one of my dynasty leagues that meant that I now have DK Metcalf and Devonte Adams on my team when I didn't have them yesterday. So that's always nice. That's a good day. That's a good big, day. Big trade, forward. big blockbuster trade. But yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it. How has it been going for you so far? Yeah, it's going well. I've got one draft left. Oh no, two draft lefts. Uh, both one is um, two tight end league, which I've ventured into the first time after our conversation about tight ends, and the other one is my standard uh, eight friends. The loser basically pays for all the food and drink at the Super Bowl that that year, and the That's winner, it. yeah, and the winner uh, obviously doesn't pay for anything, and then everyone else chips in for a jersey. So there's only eight of us. So your squads are pretty stacked. But yeah, I can imagine. But you have the kind of debate, right, I've got four starting running backs. Which three do I play? And then you play Josh Jacobs that week and you get six points and the Raiders yeah. lose and you're like, oh, no. You can so, have higher stakes even if the teams are easier to actually make good ones just because yeah. the start sits are much harder the week to week. Yeah, so um, I've got two left. Uh, one, like I said, is the one that I've never been in before. That's uh, done through Adam Lefko. Don't know if you know Adam Lefko. Does, yeah, I know uh, Lefko. Yeah, of course. Yeah, he's got his. Uh, he's got a league through his podcast. That's the the, nice. the one I'm in. And then I've got a friend league. So yeah, it's going pretty well. One of my dynasty leagues is 32 team, like we spoke about last week off air, and that draft has been five weeks long and it's still going. It's there become yeah, it's becoming a pain. But that's uh, that's just what it is. I think when you have 32 teams, I don't know why I ever joined. <laughs> Um, just a right. change of pace, you know, a change of pace. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And it's IDP, so it's just full of players, but there we go. Uh, plan for today is we are going to go through, we'll start with some injuries in a second, but then after that, we're going to go through uh, each position again. But we're going to go through kind of uh, different ranges. So two players for each position that are like 6 to 15 sort of area that you think maybe could be a top five player by the end of the season. And then also a sleeper candidate for uh, two sleeper candidates that maybe not top everyone's list, but you think could be a top 10 point scorer in that position. And then we'll end with some fun dynasty rankings because everyone likes to talk a little bit of dynasty. So uh, let's kick it off with a couple of injuries. I had three that I thought were slightly notable. First one was um, Daryl Henderson, obviously, for the Rams. They've lost Cam Akers already. Uh, I think they've lost Calais as well at their third or fourth RB. So Henderson apparently is a hand injury. It's nothing too major, but I just wonder coming up close to the season if this could linger on. Are they going to add an extra option just as a bit of security? And even if Henderson plays, is that going to take away some of his kind of benefits and fantasy? What are your opinions on the, the Rams running back situation at the moment? I am actually a big fan of Daryl Henderson, and I think that he's one of the one of the better values in drafts at the moment. So the the hand injury, to my knowledge, 
based on what I've heard so far, isn't serious enough to uh, to scare me off of him just yet. I personally still think that he's one of those guys who, just based on situation alone, can be an incredibly, incredibly good asset. Even if you don't think Daryl Henderson is some superstar player, you cannot even remotely argue that he's in one of the best positions of any player in fantasy to succeed. Being the running back one in a Sean McVay-led Rams offense, like, what more do you ask for? So, mm-hmm. I'm personally sticking with him. Any worries that they could add a veteran regardless? Like I said, with the backup being injured as well, I think they could add someone that maybe makes it into a bit more of a committee? Or you think Henderson will still be the guy? It's definitely possible they can throw in a guy that is troublesome. But for now, I don't think there are any veterans that are available that would actually, like, knock him off the block. There are definitely some very capable players that aren't currently signed to teams. But in terms of actually stopping him being fantasy relevant, I'm going to say that he should be safe. Nice, cool. I do wonder if, uh, I don't know if he signed in her yet, but Todd Gurley is a fun name that everyone keeps If Todd Gurley goes back, that would stress me out to no end. But <laughs> I, I would still at least try and stay strong on Daryl for now. Yeah, I got Daryl in uh, a dynasty league so late just because obviously next year he's probably going to be the RB2. But this year it's a, it's a hell of a lot of points, I think, for, for Henderson in, in that offense, especially around the goal line because McVeigh does run a lot on the goal line. He doesn't like to pass in, in the red zone as much. But yeah, I think I agree with you uh, on Henderson. I hope that the hand injury, we were a bit worried when it first happened, but yesterday it kind of came out that he should be able to practice next week. So Let's hope that's not a long-term one. Uh, next one is Stefan Diggs, currently wide receiver three in a lot of rankings. I've seen him as high as wide receiver two as well. Uh, not practicing fully at all, all off-season yet, with a couple of niggling lower body injuries. I guess the question isn't long-term, are you worried about him? But if you're someone who's going to draft next week and you've got the choice of him versus an Adams or a Hill, um, is there any worry with Diggs just not practicing at all? Or you just think a player like him who kind of had these issues in Minnesota is just mm. continuing to not practice just to be kind of cautious, I guess? Yeah, see, the thing for me is I always assume caution when it's a player this good. Like, if they if they aren't saying he got hurt, therefore he's not playing, yeah. I'm going to trust them. Because with a player with this talented, you don't need to check if he can still run routes. Like, you don't need to see, oh, is his hand still capable of snagging the ball better than every other receiver on our team? Like, he is so talented, and his rapport with Josh Allen was so instant, I honestly couldn't be less worried. If there's an injury that gets talked about more and it becomes a real physical ailment, then fair enough, be a bit worried. But I think that if you're the kind of person who wants to draft Stephon Diggs, you don't have to worry. I have the benefit that I'm more of a running back early kind of person. We spoke last week about how I'm generally find better value in the mid to late rounds with receivers. So mm-hmm. I won't be drafting digs very much anyway, but this is not the reason why. And I wouldn't be scared off if you like him, then go get him. Yeah, he's with the team as well. They're very cautious with the preseason, um, yeah. who they start and who they don't start. And I think don't Diggs to waste is, him. No, he's one of them receivers. He did the same, like I said, in Minnesota. He didn't practice at all, hardly, in Minnesota. He just sat out with... You just got to so, be ready for the big season. So. Yeah, basically, yeah. Cool. Uh, and then the last one, then, is a little bit more serious. So, Travis Etienne uh, with the Jags got a foot injury. It's been described as out indefinitely uh, with a yes. mid-foot sprain. Foot injuries are never great for running backs. Um, so, I guess, first question is, how do you think it affects him as an individual? And second, secondary, I guess, James Robinson. Is his stock just shoot up now? Yeah, automatically, James Robinson is worth a whole lot more right now. You're looking at him in the same kind of range as Daryl Henderson now, because it yeah. is just, he's the starter all of a sudden. Let's throw him into the mix. So um, I actually watched a video talking a bit more about what an actual midfoot sprain is, like in terms of the running back themselves, what are they dealing with? 
And it's uh, it's also known as a Liz Frank injury, which means that people might recognize it because that's what Kevin had last year. Yeah. And essentially that translates to his foot will be in pain either every time he tries to place it completely flat or constantly based on which grade it is. And if it's a, just a light one, it will only be a couple of weeks here and there in terms of like he physically can't play, but then it will just aggravate him for the rest of the year. And if it's bad, he literally could miss like the entire season after fixing it. So I'm personally very worried about it. If you've got ETN in Dynasty, you're going to have to take a bite of the bullet because it's going to be really tough. If you haven't drafted yet, I personally am not looking at ETN unless he drops really late. Like we're talking like eighth round, ninth round before I look at ETN now, just because realistically, even if he's okay, it will still hinder him. So James Robinson moves up my board and uh, ETN moves down. And they weren't even that far apart in the first place. So I'd say ETN now is practically undraftable for me just because you don't know where it's going to go. And how high would be, I guess, as high as you're willing to go with Robinson now? You're talking round six? Uh, yeah, I think round six would be reasonable. Maybe round five, but that depends on how you start your draft. If, you, if you're if you in that position where we spoke about last week, you've gone wide receiver early, maybe you go tight end early, and you only have one or two running backs to start off your first four or five rounds, you're going to need a guy that's actually going to be reliable. And James Robinson, even if only to start the year, is going to be the locked-in one. I think that he's going to earn the role that he got last year again if you give him too much time on his own. Because if Travis Etienne isn't there... James Robinson's going to remind everyone how damn good he is. Yeah, and I can't remember the third running back they've got, but he's more of a pass-catching running back as well. So oh, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. TJ he's not, yeah, he's not going to affect early downs at all, so I think I'm, I'm with you on that one. As an, yeah, as an ETN uh, owner in the Dynasty League that I'm in against you, I'm very yeah. sad about I'm very sad about it's this tough. It's tough. It's a difficult one, for sure. You've got to try and trade for James Robinson in a panic trade. That's my tactic, which I don't really recommend, but I know I'll be doing it this evening. <laughs> You'll but... be doing it, but everyone else take the advice to try really hard and make sure you don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. Cool. All right. Well, they're the only kind of injuries. I know um, CEH got injured, but was back to, to practice yesterday. So I don't think that's one to, to worry about either. So let's move on then to the topic. We're going to go through, probably going to go through position by position just to stay kind of uh, intact there. So we'll start with QB. Um, we'll go two QB. We'll go with the earlier ones first. So someone that you think two. We'll go two uh, in a six to fifteen range. That maybe when we come to the end of the season, we'll be, we'll be talking together and we'll go. Oh right, he finished fifth. I had a great season. What two QBs spring to mind when you think of that player? When you said that to me, when you sent me that as like the oh this is what we're going to talk about, I instantaneously had one name that was not even out of question, and that name is Tom Brady. People are pretending that they can see the future, and Tom Brady is proving them wrong year in, year out, over and over and over again. Like, just constantly proving people wrong. So, I personally think people need to wake up and say, you know what? He is literally the GOAT. Let's give him some respect and let's draft Tom Brady in the 10th round and win our fantasy championship. He's the first one that stands out. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think on the ringer, he was something like 109 overall. And I was looking at it like someone who gets him around pick 90 to 110. Like, it's just crazy, isn't laughing. it? Yeah. The thing is, like, this this is assuming that you're not in a super flex league. So, like, people are just drafting one, feet, like, they could grab a second. Realistically, they're just picking up one QB to be their QB. Like, yeah. if Tom Brady is, like, the 10th or 11th off the board, that means that, in theory, he's supposed to be, like, the worst one that's dying in your league. 
But you're going to have some people who have really volatile QBs. You might have a guy that doesn't perform on a week-to-week basis. Someone could get hurt, whatever. Like, you might have someone that drafts Matt Ryan before you have someone drafting Tom Brady. And I just can't, I can't screw around like that and play with the age thing. I want the guy that I know has the ability to be truly elite, and Tom Brady is that. So he's the first one that sprang to mind, no question. Yeah, I think he finished in, on ESPN leagues. I'm not sure if it's full PPR or half PPR. I think he finishes like QB five, um, so he's got the potential to to be right up there. And I think yeah, he literally is like a top five QB, but in the in the range in terms of drafting as like a ten plus QB. So that's automatic for me. Do you think Bernard Gio Bernard coming across from the Bengals think that helps because he's got another weapon then to throw those dump dump offs down in the in the passing game that, that definitely doesn't have. hurt. That definitely mm. doesn't hurt. I think that the thing that another another thing that people need to not not like not forget is this team is the first team he's ever played for that isn't the Patriots. He was already amazing, but now he has another year. Like, just actually processing the fact that that was his first season with them. In theory, he should do better this year with better rapport, better chemistry, better better setup, and just, like, the, the sky is the limit. So, if Tom Brady is a top three quarterback on each week that passes, and you're sat there with him in the 10th round, like, you're going to be winning weeks because the rest of your team will be that little bit better than everyone else's because you haven't had to spend up on a QB that was expensive. Yeah, I completely agree. And one of the factor that I'll just end on is uh, Chris Godwin had a hand injury for most of last year. He trebled his drop rate compared to every other season. Basically, he's wearing a splint on his hand. For, yeah, his, his was like, finger was really messed up. Yeah, it was like 60% of the season they had to wear a splint. Or six, he said 6% of games he had to wear a splint for. And like he wore one for 80% of games. So I think that he he's obviously, for me, their best receiver. Uh, I love him in the slot and Brady targets slot players a lot, but he couldn't do it last year because of the drop rate. Whereas I think now Brady and Godwin will be, uh, they'll be very closely linked. So I think that's a, a good pick. What uh, what was the next QB that kind of sprung to your mind when you looked the at this? Next one is a person that I have in like three of my leagues. <laughs> I always end up with Jalen Hurts. Now, I'm going to bring up one of my one of my leagues because I, I need to give you actual numbers because I, I can't just make this up. I have to actually give some numbers to just make sure that you guys don't think I'm going crazy. Let me go over to the league where I've got my boy Jalen. Okay, Jalen Hurts. So the way that I I kind of operate in uh, in these leagues is I want to see like the player do well now, like in theory, but also that they have some background. That's why when I draft a rookie, it's a little bit more stressful than maybe it might be for other people. I want to know that I can trust it, right? Mm-hmm. When I'm looking at Jalen Hurts and I go and look back at 2020, he didn't really have much of a, a, a build-up in the start of the season because everyone just knew that he wasn't going to play either for the whole season or most of the season. No one really had any expectations. Then he started playing and he played for the last four weeks and he was the starter for the team. And he had a 21-point game, a 41-point game, a 22-point game, and a 17-point game. These are pretty standard, like scoring. Like this isn't this isn't some crazy six-point touchdown league. Like this is this is just Jalen Hurts going crazy, right? He was rushing for yardage. He was passing for yardage. He threw some touchdowns. Like he showed some serious promise. Like one of the games, he literally rushed for 100 yards. Like. We're talking serious, serious balance of both passing pretty well and rushing legit really, really well. He, like, 
he just showed that that's something that most QBs in the NFL don't have. The ability to score with both types of fantasy points. And that there immediately took my attention. Next year when I'm drafting, I need to keep an eye out for this kid because he's serious. He's only 23 years old. So if you're looking at Dynasty, he's a guy that I like to look at. And even for redraft, he's currently being drafted quite late. Not like super late. Like, don't get me wrong. He's still drafted like before the likes of Brady. But the weakness of Brady is he's only passing it. With Hurts, you get both. And I think that's very valuable in fantasy. Yeah, he's got Devontae Smith there this year as well, yep. which potentially could help him. I think I read it last week or the week before, but if he played every single game last year and you extrapolate that number out, he would have been like third, I think, for total QBs for rushing yards behind Kyler and uh, Lamar. Yeah, he's, uh, he was showing some serious pace. 100 yards rushing in a game is nothing to ignore. Like That's that's impressive. In his sec- It was actually his first start of the year. He rushed for 106 <laughs> yards. That's impressive to me. Yeah, and I think overall the Eagles as well, they've actually got a better line than people realise. Their O-line's really good. Yeah, like they Travis were banged Kelsey. up last year. Yeah, they got Travis Kelsey, Ron Kelsey, Jason Kelsey, and yeah. uh, Landon Dickerson now on the interior is really, really good with with uh, Brooks as well. And then I know left tackle's a bit of an issue, but uh, if the other four places on the line are solid, then I think they could have a good line. The weapons are better because I think Ertz will play better this season if they don't trade him. Obviously, Smith is a better player. Uh, and then running back is a bit of a mismatch in terms of passing as now in the backfield. But I think overall, the fact they haven't got an RB1 that everyone seems to love actually might help Hurts because I think he's going to run the ball more himself. So I think that's a good pick. But uh, I wonder what sort of ceiling you'd have on what round you think was he, you'd class him still as a steal. Like if you got him in round seven, is that early? Is that I, I'd, I'd say six is the uh, like the the point where it's like too early for me. So seven is reasonable. Yeah. Anything past there, you're you're winning. So Brady in the round the ten. Maybe ninth if you're eager, but probably around the tenth. And Hurts, maybe eighth if you get lucky. So that's what I'm hoping for. But you, you guys can work out your own value on where you want to spend at QB. Those are just two guys that, with the premise of like a guy that's not in the top five when people talk about them, but they really could end up there. I can't think of any two better players than than Hurts and Brady. No, Hurts has shot up draft boards as well recently, which is good. Um, cool. Well, let's move on to the other idea then. So the, the late ones, these are kind of more back-end QBs that you think have a chance just to be a solid top 10 QB come the end of the year uh, and maybe just provide a lot of value, like you said, in terms of letting you draft other players first. So let's go with your first player on your list. So the first one is a nice safe one. One of those guys where you're picking them because you know that they're not going to completely screw you. And that's Kirk Cousins. He is way more consistent than people give him credit for. Like people assume because he's not fun and exciting that Kirk Cousins isn't like a fantastic quarterback. Like he's honest for deep ball passes in the league. And if you look at the points that he scores on a weekly basis, like he's just consistent. Last year, I'm looking at his numbers now. He had one really, really tough game where he struggled. It was really poor. When Indianapolis started the year on fire. It was tough. Fair enough. But other than one game where he only scored 12 points, every single game, he gave you just a solid amount. 24, 22, 18, 19, 28, 23, 21. Like, literally the whole season, you've got somewhere roughly within the 20 range. And then he showed a little flash at the end. Week 17, put up 38.3. So if he was in the fantasy finals, maybe you win the championship on the back of Kirk. But people are scared to think of him as a, like a good QB. But like last year, he was the 11th quarterback in total scoring. Now, yeah, you might have injuries to other QBs or whatever. But in terms of the way that people view Cousins, 
just is nowhere near the top 12 in like what they actually think. He gets drafted like Lord. Sometimes even later than that, depending on people getting excited about the rookies, because obviously the rookies are exciting. Everyone yeah. loves the rookies. But yeah, I think that Kirk Cousins is a guy that needs to have a little bit more respect because let's, let's just be honest about it. The quarterback you're drafting in like the 12th round, you don't need them to win you the league. You just need them to be better than you drafted them to be. And that's what I think Kirk Cousins describes. Just a top 10 upside, but also like realistically, he's not going to be lower than like 16 or 17. And that nice floor mixed with the potential upside is what I'm looking at. Justin Jefferson's incredible. Thielen's amazing. And Dalvin Cook catches the ball well. I think that it's a great offense to have the quarterback from. Yeah, I've seen him in the same tier a few times as Trey Lance and, and people like Ryan Fitzpatrick. And you've got Trey Lance, who might not even start more than four or five games this year. And you've got Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's never really led an offense consistently for 16, 17 games. So mm-hmm. I think Kirk Cousins is such a better prospect. He's a safer prospect. He's not going to lose you your league as well. There's yeah, a bit of an thing. There's a bit of an argument about his decision to not get vaccinated that means you might miss QB for yeah, for, course, for a week. But I don't think it's enough to, to, to affect his draft position. Um, if, I know the offense is good in terms of personnel. Are you at all worried about the, the scheme with Cousins? Because they do run it a lot on early downs. But They definitely guess... do run it a lot, yeah. But the thing for me is that like the players you're passing it to are just as good as the ones you're running it with. Like Obviously, Dalvin Kirk is like a, a serious, serious talent. But if you don't think that Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen are as good as Dalvin Cook is, or at least close, you have not been watching. Like last year, Thielen was like the king of the red zone. Other than Devontae Adams, he was basically just the guy in the red zone. And then Justin Jefferson was destroying everyone in his path. If you have those two running routes down the field, it doesn't matter if you pass the ball a little bit less than other quarterbacks. Like, He'll have 25 or 26 attempts in a game, but one, he'll complete 19 or 20 of them, and two, he'll be throwing touchdowns and deep passes because the receivers he has are so good. So although I completely recognize that they're a run-first team, especially early in the downs, I actually think that Kirk is going to be even more efficient because of that because you sure as hell don't want to not be paying attention when they do run it with Dalvin. So play action is great, and deep passes can be very successful. Yeah, I love the fact that if you go Dalvin Cook early as well, you can pick up both parts of that, that that offense with the passing and the run game. So I think that's another factor. Uh, cool. So I definitely agree with you on Kirk. I think he's a good option. He gets drafted late in every draft that I do. Exactly. With, with my it's friends, one of those anyway. where you notice it, don't you? You like see it and you're like, really? Okay. Yeah. I guess I'll just I'll just I'll just casually watch as everyone's just letting him slide, and then when someone finally picks him up, you're like, damn, that's like the eleventh or thirteenth round. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Uh, cool. Well, there's Kirk then. Uh, what's the other QB? It sounds like you might have someone a bit more riskier potentially for this one. Yes. Yeah, so I was initially thinking Trey Lance, but I want to give one that's actually going to start because although I think it's worth a shout out to say, I think he could become real good, like real, real good. I don't want to advise you guys to take a guy that one, everyone's already talking about and two, that might not start till week six, seven, eight. Some people even think he literally might not start till like 12, which I personally think is insane because he's shown so much and Jimmy Garoppolo isn't that guy anymore. I don't think he's, he just doesn't earn the spot over Lance, in my opinion. But while I'm giving him a little shout out, the person I want to talk about as a, as a late sleeper that not enough people are mentioning right now, I'm getting excited about Tua this year. Now, don't get me wrong. Tua is a riskier pick than Kirk Cousins. That's kind of the reason I picked Kirk and Tua, because one of them is very, very safe. He doesn't get respected, so you can get him at great value. 
But Tua, I think, is poised for like a serious, serious opportunity. Because one, they kept throwing in Ryan Fitzpatrick and screwing him at the end of the game. Now, for the record, as an NFL team, it was actually quite successful. Cool, whatever. But if you stop taking the last few drives away from him and let him actually sling the ball when he has to, that gives him more opportunities. If he has better weapons, which he definitely does, anyone who doesn't think that there's improved weapons in Miami, like, they're not paying attention. Like, Tua has got some serious weapons. Everyone already knows about Gasicki and, like, the, the Preston Williams and the Albert Wilson. Cool, that's fine. But now he's got Will Fuller and Jalen Waddle. <laughs> you think he's going to be boring and pass it short when he has Waddle and Fuller on the same football field? This guy's going to have to start throwing it deep, even if he doesn't want to, because that's where the guys that are open are going to be. No one's talking about how different his play and his gameplay style could become. Yes, last year he only had a couple of bigger games like he had one game really, really good against Kansas City. Obviously, that's probably because the game flow forces you to pass it. That's that's fair enough to say that he's going to have a big game that big game then. But think about it from the perspective: the run game is a committee. No one really special. No one splashes. No one's crazy. Yes, Miles Gaskin's fine, but he's not going to force you to run the ball a lot. I think that this offense is going to be more pass heavy than it was before. And they have Devontae Parker, Jalen Waddle, and Will Fuller as their three primary receivers with Mike Gesicki as the talented tight end. I cannot see a way that those four receiving options do not prompt serious passing volume. And most importantly, like I said a minute ago, deeper average depth of target. Tua has been showing some serious flair in training camp. You'll see a clip of him throwing a 45-yard touchdown. And like it's like people just go, oh, well, it's just training camp. But then when they watch Trey Lance at training camp, they're like, oh, my God, did you see that pass? Like, <laughs> sometimes you've got to give that little bit of parity and say, look, we're going to get excited about everyone at training camp or we're going to get excited about no one. Like, you can't change who you fancy at training camp and who you need to see in a regular season game. Everyone that's excited about the rookies, I understand it, and I love Trey Lance this year. But the tip that I'm going to give is Tua Tagovailoa because he's the one that no one's talking about. You can literally take him in like the 15th round of your draft and he could genuinely be a top 12 QB coming out as a, t as a quarterback one on the end of the season. And like, I'm not being funny. If you're in a 12-team league and you have the 12-pack best quarterback, like, okay, cool. But how much did you spend? A 15th mm -hmm. round pick sounds real good to me. Yeah, I was listening to the uh, Ringer podcast today with Benjamin Solak and he was talking about Tua and obviously the arm strength's not there compared to a lot of the league and the O-line is the, the major worry. They're, they're not they're not protecting well. They're not pass protecting well at all. But uh, I think what they were kind of trying to discuss is that they've added players around him that if he can get like a 20-yard over route and he's got, I don't know, probably Jalen Waddle on the end of it, there's going to be yards after catch there. Exactly. Whereas, last, whereas last year that wasn't necessarily the case. Mm -hmm. Um and then you have the hope that the O-line improves pass blocking as the year goes on. I, I don't think that's necessarily going to happen, but that could happen. Uh, and I think his draft spot is, is far too low because the weapons are really, really good. I'm a that's big Jalen Waddle fan. The weapons are amazing. The weapons are what really fuel this pick for me. You can't, you cannot have Parker, Waddle, Fuller and Gasicki on your team 
and not start getting some serious passing yardage, in my opinion. Even if the O-line does struggle a little bit, that's going to encourage them to get the ball in people's hands early. And Waddle and Fuller especially are people that are going to make massive plays out of nothing. And I'm excited to see if it can happen. If you draft him as the 20th QB off the board, like, and then he comes in as like the like 10 to 15 range, I'm going to be satisfied. And he has upside to be even better than that if he can truly show his potential that we all saw at Alabama. Yeah, and Gaskin as well at the backfield's a good yeah. pass catcher who has yeah, the. Yeah, he's not necessarily a good inside runner, but he's okay at the outside zone. But the main thing he's good at is explosive plays. So if you give him the ball on like an eight yard out, then he could potentially take that for 30, 35 yards. And I just think mm-hmm. that people, people don't realize that, that he adds a bit of explosion yeah. to the offense as well. Cool. Also, if you're, if you're playing in a super flex league, two is the perfect guy to have as like your QB3. Like you've got the big flashy ones that everyone's excited about, the big names. Just throwing two on your bench and just know that when it starts clicking, you have him there. That's going to be something that I'm looking to do. I have him in one league where, like, you're going to laugh because literally Kirk Cousins and Tua are like my two tips. I have one league in a dynasty. I can't remember. Like, this is how many leagues I have. I can't remember if it's the one I'm in with you. I don't yeah, know. you have got Tua in my league. Yeah. yeah, so I have a league where it's Aaron Rodgers is my starting QB. And then my bench, I have Kirk Cousins and Tua Tagovailoa because Kirk is safe and Tua has upside. Like that's what you want to have in your teams. So obviously Dynasty is different. You might want to stash a couple more QBs because you can't just pick them up for free. But in a redraft league, you're looking at Tua and you're seeing a guy that nobody wants, but he could be really damn special if things go the way that his weapons are capable of making it go. Nice. Cool. Let's move away from QB then and move on to the running back position, the favourite position in fantasy football, I think. Uh, let's go again, top two. Let's go one at a time again for the top the top tier. So six to 15 range that may be, not quite in the top five now, but at the end of the season, you think they could be. Who, who springs to mind for that one? So you can argue about like different formats and stuff. I'm kind of coming from like a half PPR or PPR perspective. I don't play in any standard leagues anymore. So assuming that you get at least a little smidge for, for catching the ball, I think that not enough people are actually realizing how high the upside is for Austin Eckler. Like he had to be on this list as soon as you asked me for it, because Austin Eckler, we already know how talented he is at receiving. But he's also good at running the ball too. And people might forget that just naturally because last year he missed quite a lot of games. So when he came back, he wasn't exactly dominating the carry count. But I'm not being funny. Like He's got enough rushing ability to earn touches in that form. And then he has an absurd amount, like a ridiculous amount of talent on the receiving side of things. Like... He is capable of being a running back who's going to catch more passes than receiver one. Like, you can literally have him as your highest receiving output player. Like, he'll, he'll, like he had a game in, uh, in week 12 last year. He got 16 targets for 11 catches and 85 yards. <laughs> Another game where he had 11 targets, caught all 11 of them 84 yards. And those games, like, he didn't score a touchdown. So imagine now you throw in a receiving touchdown or maybe he scores a rushing touchdown. Like, these are some serious games. He's had real flashes before when he combines the rushing with the receiving. But this year, you have, for the first time, what I would refer to as, like, he's the one and then the next running back is the RB3, in my opinion. Like, it's that type of off. We're not talking, like, 
oh yeah, Austin Eckler and Melvin Gordon, who's going to get the touchdowns, who's going to get this, who's going to get that. Melvin Gordon can catch a football. And Melvin Gordon is a way more strong red zone presence. So you kind of find yourself pigeonholed by Austin Eckler. He's only going to be a receiving back. But this year could be the year, in my opinion, where he starts to score a few more touchdowns on the ground. Now, for the record, like last year, admittedly, he only played like 10 games. But in the games he played, he scored a total of three touchdowns. That is not even remotely close to what you can expect from Austin Eckler in a fully healthy year without Melvin Gordon. So next year, automatically, I'm looking at positive regression for touchdowns. And if he starts scoring touchdowns and rushes the ball even just two or three more times a game and has the ridiculous receiving floor that means he's always going to be safe for like five to ten points automatically just from catching alone, now is where you start to see the real upside of Austin Eckler. If that man plays 17 games of football this year, he's probably going to catch 100 passes. Yeah, right. he's, uh, he's the, the the OC as well is um, mm-hmm. is is coming for an offense that does like to pass out the backfield as well. So I think his targets are only going to increase, or at least his target share potentially could could increase. Um, and as someone who works in sports gambling analytics, the bet for him to go over on his receptions every week is a very positive EV bet. Like the amount of people that bet that in the industry is crazy because they will set it at like five, six, seven. He'll have games like you said, where he catches 10 passes and he does that like two or three times a season. So mm-hmm. I think that he's a great one. Even if you, if you're in PPR, especially like he's full probably PPR going is mental. Yeah. He's probably going even higher in full PPR. So yeah, I do agree with that. Yeah, one. In, in full PPR, I have him here. Let me just quickly look. Yeah. In full PPR, he's, he's fully getting drafted like either the last pick of the first round or the first pick of the second round. Usually like he's, he's got that little boost to his ADP in that, uh, in that format, just cause he catches the ball so effectively. Yeah. And like you said, he was injured at the start of last year and they had a lot of average running backs that were the big guys that could take goal line carries off him. So let's exactly. hope with, with a fully healthy year that, that he has a bit of uh, positive regression with touchdowns. Like, like you said, even just uh, six or seven, across the year that that's literally going to be double what he got last year so yeah and he'll get a receiving one here and there as well especially like yeah of course course stuff. exactly cool all right austin eckler someone i think most people kind of overlook a little bit who's the uh, next name you've got on your the list? next one this is just like the classic bell cow i want volume 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 you might already guess it just from me saying that this one i can't give you stats from last year because it's a rookie yeah, i love person. Najee harris i love Najee harris yeah, that's what I had. I thought you were going to say that, to be honest. The he, volume's insane. Yeah, he he should literally come in and get, like, 330 touches. Like, he is the running back. Like, we talk about how in the, in the Chargers offense, it was, yeah, Eckler and then a gap and then everyone else. In this offense, there might not even be anyone else after the gap. Mm-hmm. They've got Jalen Samuels, who was fun for a week when they thought he was a tight end, but he was playing running back. They've got Kalen Ballage. They've got Anthony McFarland, who could be cool in the future if he if he starts to get some opportunities. But this running back is a committee of one. This is Najee Harris out of Alabama, first year, instantly getting given the ball. I'm predicting that he's going to get like stupid, stupid numbers. Like we're talking volume on the level of like the top running backs in the entire league like obviously he's not necessarily going to automatically be as good as all the best running backs in the league but like 
if you look at if you look at the truly elite running backs, Derrick Henry last year, his average touches per game was only like 20 to 25. It's not like he's getting 40 touches. Najee Harris could easily rush the ball 16 or 17 times a game as like his baseline and then get a couple of catches out the backfield. And all of a sudden you're looking at this serious, serious stack of volume. And even if Harris is like, good running back not even like a truly elite running back just a good running back in terms of his actual talent he's going to be elevated by the sheer numbers if you're talking about the players that are going around him in the draft you've got antonio gibson joe mixon uh ceh people like that right those kind of second round running backs those guys have plenty going on around them and pass heavy offenses are generally a little bit of an issue but here's the thing. Last year, I believe that the Steelers were more pass-heavy because they couldn't run the ball. Like they, they basically couldn't have the success when they tried. This year, they've brought in a great running back. They drafted him with high capital. They spent that money for a reason. Like They're, they're paying him the, that big rookie contract. They, they gave him the big signing bonus. They spent a high draft capital pick on him. And the reason is because they want to get back to that Le'Veon Bell era again, where they could just have one running back who just does all of the running work and a lot of the receiving work as well. And I think that Najee Harris would be incredibly surprising if he wasn't a top 10 running back just based on how much volume he's going to get if he stays healthy all year. And then a top five is genuinely reasonable if he just gets a little bit of receiving work on top of that rushing and can make it work in an offense that is very difficult to guard with passing. I think it's going to open up the running game and he's going to score a lot of touchdowns and get a lot of yards. Yeah, and he's a very good pass catcher as well for the running back. Coming, yeah, coming out of the Alabama offense as well, where he has to do that a lot. He's not going to be. He's going to be used to doing that. He's going to have to do it with with Pittsburgh. And I think the Steelers' O line is still terrible, but I think that only benefits him from a pass catching uh, standpoint because you know what Ben's like. He wants to get the ball out quick. He's going to throw it to the running back, and Harris can make someone miss and get 15 yards on that pass. So I think his passing upside is more than what some people who maybe don't watch college football realize. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the running might be an issue sometimes on early downs, but I think in the red zone with the amount of weapons they've got, he'll get a lot of touchdowns. So, yeah, I think he's underdrafted, to be honest. I, it's I just the him. volume is yeah. so important in this in this game. We play fantasy football and we look for these superstar players who are going to be really, really efficient with their touches. Sometimes you look for the efficiency as a bonus and just go volume, volume, volume. And I think if Najee Harris is like 75% as efficient as the running backs being drafted above him, he can outscore them because of the sheer volume. Like, for example, people are drafting Nick Chubb way more aggressively than they're drafting Najee Harris. But Nick Chubb, despite being like a top six pick, has a ridiculously talented backup right behind him who is stealing receiving work and scores loads of touchdowns without any warning. Like, for the record, that's not me saying you shouldn't draft Nick Chubb. I think he's awesome, too. But, like, Harris is the opposite of Nick Chubb. He's going to be the running back that does near enough everything. And so, in any team in the NFL, having a running back that's going to get ridiculous volume is good. The fact that the Steelers' offense is looking to bounce back. Big Ben looks real healthy now. Great receiving options that are going to take a lot of the strain off of a running back. 
I really do think that even if the offensive line isn't as ideal as it has been in previous years, Najee Harris has serious upside and actually not bad of the floor just because of how much he's going to touch that ball. Yeah, and he's young and, and always been relatively healthy as well. Touchwood, that continues for him. So that's another an upside for a position that gets injured quite a lot. Um, cool. All right, let's move on from those two then and look at two kind of sleeper RBs you think maybe could scrape into a top 10. Uh, yes. Give us the, those two names. So these two names are slightly different. One of them is like already sat there chilling as the as the RB1 for his team which is rare for a sleeper because it always has this feeling that like you're trying to you're trying to pick a guy and get lucky or whatever but yeah. that that guy is Damian Harris from the Patriots. I really like his value in drafts right now. Like I like it a lot. I think that people are scared of the Patriots offense like too much. And I understand why because like James White is just going to just take away all of the receiving work on third downs. But Damian Harris will still catch a few balls here and there just because of the nature of like early down offense is still going to involve some passing. And the key thing is the rushing. If you're worried that Sony Michelle is going to steal touches from your running back, you clearly don't have any faith in your running back and you shouldn't draft him in the first place because Sony Michelle is rubbish. <laughs> so for my money, Damian Harris is going to be the locked and loaded RB1 on this team. Yes, James White is going to steal the receiving work, but that's okay if Damian Harris can assert himself as a really strong running back. And here's the little hidden gem bonus to his pick. The thing that is the biggest criticism of drafting a running back from the Pats now that Brady has gone is Cam Newton stealing touchdowns. However, if there is a stage of the year where Cam has not been performing well, I miss you that Bill Belichick will not be precious about Cam's feelings and if Mac Jones becomes the quarterback during this season Damian Harris's value will go up even higher because then the one criticism you have about Harris being able to score touchdowns will go away because Mac Jones isn't going to start rushing power run QB option like he's <laughs> going to be passing the ball and he's going to be handing it off so yes the touchdowns are a little harder to find if you're stood next to Cam Newton in the backfield but one that might last as long that might not last as long and two I think that with Mac Jones drafted the Patriots are going to have to remind themselves that they're going to be looking at the future of the franchise with a player that isn't willing to smash headfirst into linebackers and I think that will only help Damian Harris as he asserts himself as the number one running back in the team. And for my money, the best fantasy asset in the entire roster for New England. Yeah, he's probably the latest starting RB1 that's going. I think Gaskin and him are probably up there in terms of ADP for who's going yeah, first. Very but... good value. Yeah, but yeah, very good runner. Had a great preseason. Obviously, Alabama running back that uh, Saban and Belichick love. I agree with you. I think if Cam does end up not starting at any point, even if it's for a couple of weeks, from injury or whatever, <laughs> yeah, you're getting a, a crazy week probably from Harris there. And I think uh, this week, Mac Jones is going to take the starters reps due to some COVID protocol issues for Cam as well. So Damien mm -hmm. Harris and, and Matt Jones are going to get time together in the, in the ones. So, yeah, I agree. I think he's a great value. I picked him up in Dynasty. I think he's a great pick. Still young. It's a bit annoying, to be honest, that they underutilized him last year. I think they were trying to force Sony Michel a bit, and now they yeah. finally realized it. But this is his first year as the actual starting uh, running back for the team. So, uh, yeah, he's a good one. I've got him in two leagues. I think he's he's going to be my favorite, I think, to draft in this sort of area of the draft. Um, the key thing for a late running back is that you need upside. You're, you're for a floor play in the 
like 10th round or 8th round or whatever like if you're looking at running backs in the first five rounds cool do whatever you want in terms of safety and being careful but after like six seven eight you have to look for a running back with crazy upside and damian harris has the ability if you get the right turn of events to be a star in your team every single week for the rest of the year whether it's mac jones becoming the starter or whether it's just him going you know what bill i can do this on my own give me all of the rushing stuff and that's what i think is going to happen this year i think he's going to really earn that role and if you give him enough carries he will make it work like last year they gave him 17 carries in a game 100 yards rushing they gave him 16 102 22 121 every time you give him serious touches he gives you serious yardage like that is something that has to be on bill's mind if i actually let this kid run he's going to get me some some serious efficiency so i'm excited to see how that plays out and he's my favorite sleeper for now yeah i agree i think he's a hell of a hell of a value um who's your next one then it sounds like maybe someone who isn't starting at the moment but a bit more upside potentially correct it is trey sermon he is my favorite running back value if you look at the ADP itself. Yes, I think Harris is much, much safer of a pick to go, all right, sweet, week one, bang, into my lineup. I needed the value player, let's get him in there. Sermon has like a minor ankle thing and people are stressed about it, but like, he's a freaking rookie. Like, the whole point of drafting rookies is that they might not be able to start straight away. They're going to be able to like show their ability later. Well, Raheem Mostert's injured, if anything, I actually think Mostert's injury might be more serious than Sermon's. And Raheem Mostert has never in his entire career played an entire season. No, like if you, if you go back and look at his seasons, he doesn't have a single one where it's just, oh yeah, great, look at all these, look at all these games. He always gets banged up. And it's a shame because he's, he's an exciting player to watch. He always gets those big plays. But one, he's not exactly a, a, a short yardage guy. When you have most on your team, you're looking for him to get the big breakaway play. But that's not what Trey Sermon's about. Trey Sermon's better at receiving the ball than most it is. And he is a bit more, I'd say, capable of taking a hit or two. He's six foot one, two fifteen, where most is five ten, one ninety-seven. Like that alone should tell you that he can be used differently. And obviously, as a rookie, he was invested in. They bought him in and at the end of the day, the reason I like both of the trays that they drafted, Trey Lance and Trey Sermon, is because this team isn't currently in a position where they can win everything. They have Brandon Ayuk, who's young and amazing. They have George Kittle, who's like not that old, although you might think he's old. He's not that old. He's only 27, and he's amazing. They don't have it figured out at QB yet, and they don't have it figured out at running back yet. Everyone always says that they use running back by committee running back by committee. Everyone always says that that's the big argument against Trey Sermon. Well, he's just going to be in a committee. The reason that Shanahan has a committee is because he doesn't have a running back that can do everything. When you had Shanahan in Atlanta and you had Devonta Freeman, he was literally one of the best top players in all of fantasy to have. He was amazing. And the key thing is when that player is available to Shanahan again, he will use him. I promise you that he will use him if he can. Right now, everybody's looking at Sermon as like this guy that could maybe get involved in the team, but he might be held back by a committee. If you can draft Trey Sermon in like double-digit rounds, you might not be able to get him double-digit. I'm going to look at his, um, quickly look at the ADP. Apparently, he's going 
the mid eighth right now. So you might not quite get lucky enough in like a sharper league, but in a home league, he should be there in the 10th round. And if you're playing with people that are a little bit more experienced, try and snag him in the eighth or ninth, because at the end of the day, if he doesn't start for a couple of weeks, it doesn't matter because you should already have your starting running backs by then. But if he earns the role he's capable of earning, and Raheem Mostert's always getting banged up, Jeffrey Wilson isn't a huge threat to anyone, Wayne Gorman is mediocre at best, there's a genuine opportunity for Sermon to establish himself as the number one guy for both rushing and receiving out of that backfield. And if that happens, I promise you, you're going to want him on your team. This Niners offense doesn't mess around. And if you can get a guy that's the big boy in that backfield, it will be very profitable at a low price of investment. Yeah, I completely agree. And his touches in preseason have been higher than what people think. I know most of it's obviously been injured, but they still could have shared that around more than they have. Yeah, and they, course, course. they kind of decided not to do that. They utilised him as much until he got that injury. Um, so I think I'm with you. I actually think he will be the, their RB1 immediately if both are healthy. Uh, but yeah, I, I, think I, I, it, I think it'll be a bit more even to start with. But like as you said, I think Sermon is so good. I loved him coming out of college. So I think that his talent will kind of overcome. And most of it gets injured literally all the time. It's partly just because of the way he plays. He's so fast. He's the fastest. So RB. fast, but so small. Yeah, like yeah. 197 pounds isn't big enough to keep getting hit, 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 hit when you're running that fast. So yeah. And he gets hamstring like- injuries just from, just from the fast twitch aspect. So I agree. Exactly. I think. I think Sermon's a good pick uh, and great. We'll talk about Dynasty later, but um, great for great for Dynasty. I'll put it out there. Like if I could, if I could, like go into a draft and lock in one player that I like locked in that was just my guy. Now, for the record, I have to be say I'm doing this within reason. I can't just say McCaffrey or something. But <laughs> if I could just say like a reasonable value that I could like lock in before the draft even starts, I would say I'll swap my ninth round pick for Trey Sermon. Like genuinely, he is that kind of asset to have. Because if it works, you will have a genuinely league-changing pick on your hands. Because if he becomes a Devonta Freeman Jr. in terms of a Shanahan RB1, it will be huge, huge rewards. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. I think most people that are sharp as well are pretty much all in on, on Sermon, so it's a good one. Uh, let's move over to wide receiver then. Um, yep. With the tight ends last. Uh, give us the, the names of the two guys you think have a chance to scrape into a top five that aren't being drafted top five at the moment. So I will say this is difficult because the top five at wide receiver, if I just read the names that I'm looking at here on like a consensus top five, Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill, Stephon Diggs, Calvin Ridley, DeAndre Hopkins. <laughs> to break into that is terrifying. Yeah. But if you're going to think of any player that can actually do it, the first one that springs to my mind is C.D. Lamb. Now, he's quite a way down the list in ADP. You can get him in, like, the fourth round. So... This is quite a jump I'm saying here. I reckon that you might be able to get a top five receiver in the fourth round. That's absurd, but just hear me out, okay? Dak Prescott last year was literally the best American football player on the planet for a month. He was ridiculous. When I say that he was ridiculous. I'm not going to tell you the numbers. He was the best player on the planet. And the reason that that like, makes me so excited for C.D. Lamb is when Dak went completely nuclear, C.D. had just joined the team and couldn't really get all of the volume he deserved, right? He was playing his very first game week one and he only got 
six targets, nothing amazing. Second game, he managed to get nine targets, which was really encouraging. Had a nice game. Then seven and seven, right? So in that kind of insane hotspot where Dak went mental, it was obviously a pretty nice, a pretty nice introduction for CD, but nothing crazy, right? Mm-hmm. But Dak played five games, and CD Lamb only got his first proper, like, Dak loves me game in week four. He scored two touchdowns in week four, had his best game to start the year, 23 points. Week five, Dak's clearly noticing, like, CD Lamb is awesome, let's give him the ball more. 11 targets, eight catches for 124 yards. Like, suddenly you're looking, CD Lamb's about to blow up onto the scene. His average yards per catch are literally like, 15 through the first five games. Dak started to feed him now, and then Dak gets injured in week five. So you go from, oh, CD Lamb is finally starting to turn it on. Dak's starting to appreciate how good CD Lamb is. He's getting a bit more integrated into the offense, to all of a sudden Dak gone. So now you have week six, nine points. Week seven, literally like five targets, not a single catch. Like really, really frustrating, right? Mm hmm. But then we're now getting to see toward the end of the year, even without Dak, he had three games in a row where he had seven, um, seven targets and he came out with 17 points against San Francisco, 22 against the, the Eagles. So he showed a couple of flashes. He finished the year as the 20th best receiver in standard scoring, even though he didn't have Dak Prescott after week five. Like, just to put that into perspective, like, this year, he's going to have Dak from week one, even if he has like a, a tiny bit of an issue with his shoulder. Like, I don't think it's going to be enough that they're going to have him playing worse than Andy Dalton and freaking the rest of the cast that they were there last year. They were just awful. Once Dak went, it was over. CD still proved that he has some mobility. He's very, very talented. I wish the Raiders drafted him instead of Henry Ruggs. I'll tell you that. <laughs> and CD Lamb is my, probably my favorite wide receiver value on the entire draft board right now. Middle of the fourth round, take this guy and just watch it happen. Because if Dak's at QB, he's going to be sensational. Yeah, I got him early in my Dino League last year and I loved it. I think uh, this year, sorry, I think it's going to be good for me because I think his future is massive. And going back to the, the most thing with the injuries, Amari Cooper's the same. He gets so many injuries that. You know there's going to be four, five, six weeks of the season where Lamb is the wide receiver one, regardless of, of what's going to happen, because Cooper just won't be there. And there'll be other weeks when Cooper plays, but Lamb is still the wide receiver one. He's not going to happen all the week. Cooper will get that week or two where he has 130 yards, two touchdowns or something. But I still think the majority of the time Lamb's going to project to be the RB one on this. Uh, sorry, the wide receiver one on this team. So for me, I agree. I think he. There's another player. I'll see if you name him next. But there's only him and someone else I considered that could even break this because. I think the talent is there. Training camp buzz is incredible. Um, Dak's lat is a a worry because they basically said he's going to have that Landry all year. It's not going to go away, unfortunately. Um, But I think overall, their defense is so bad and the offense is so good that the the, the volume is going to be crazy. So I I I love CD Lamb as well. Uh, Who was the other name that comes to mind when you thought about this one? So this one's difficult because, like I said, the names that are popping up are stupid like we're talking like the some of the best players to ever play receiver are playing football right now especially the likes of Devonte adams and uh, and obviously deandre hopkins those guys they're just ridiculous tyreek hill 
is just terrifying to all defenders. So, like, to even comprehend someone overtaking any of these guys is absurd. And you have to think of a serious, serious talent to even try. And the guy I think that could do it, CD Lamb 1, DK Metcalf 2. Now, the reason I think DK Metcalf could do it is not because oh, yeah, Russell Wilson's really good and he's going to explode. Because obviously, like like we said, like Dak being amazing is part of the reason for CD to be so high. Here's the thing. Metcalf already went top five if you're in a standard league, right? Admittedly, it was literally number five, so it's not like he broke <laughs> in and came up number one, but he was yeah. the fifth best player in standard leagues last year. Seventh in PPR. And that was his first proper, proper go at this league in 2019 he absolutely exploded onto people's radar in terms of holy crap he's terrifying oh my god i love watching him play and wow i wish he played for my team right but the actual fantasy production wasn't as crazy it just wasn't quite there he came 31st in standard 34th in ppr He'll always be a tiny bit worse than PPR because of the type of player he is. But yeah, it yeah. just wasn't quite there. His best week of the entire year was only 24 points against Tampa Bay. But then 2020, you come out and you know he's going to be that guy from day one. Literally week one of the season, he instantly comes in. Eight targets, 98% snap share. Like he's just instantly integrated into the offense. Four catches, 95 yards and a touchdown. Week two, 92 yards and a touchdown. Week three, 110 yards and a touchdown. Week four, 106 yards. Week five, 93 yards and two touchdowns. This is insane from DK Metcalf. He literally just terrifies every single player that plays defense in the NFL. I promise you that. He scored seven touchdowns in his first year, and he still didn't even have that great of a year. Last year, he scored 10. And this year with a new offensive coordinator. Obviously, I can't pr promise you what's going to happen, but Shane Waldron <laughs> is a new offensive coordinator who is a little bit more, I think, unpredictable maybe than last year we might have expected from Marty. But here's the thing, right? DK Metcalf is only going to get better in terms of his actual talent. He's 23 years old. He's literally the same age as me, but he looks like he could be my dad. He is <laughs> terrifying athletically ridiculously talented with the actual ball in his hands, which is, I think, the part that really tells him above others. He isn't just the deep threat. You can send him to the ball five yards downfield, get it in his hands, and he's gone. There was that one play in particular last year that I don't even have to describe. People will already be imagining it, where he caught an in route from the left side, literally just a five-yard in route, and he scored at the right pylon 40 yards later. Like It's just his ability to run with a football in his hands or not is terrifying and i think that this is the year where not only does he go for a second year in a row where he could be in the top five i think this is going to be his best year yet in terms of his actual talent itself so if we give him the same volume that he got last year with even one more game than last year i think that his ability to make huge plays and his increasing rapport with wilson technically we could expect a better offense than before based on a new OC. I think that this is the best year that there has been for DK Metcalf to play football. And it just so happens that you can draft him. Now, for the record, he's definitely cost more than he did last year. But you can draft him 
in like the wide receiver, say seven, eight range in the second round. And there's a genuinely really high chance that he could sneak into that top five for the second year in a row. Yeah, he's very, very good around the red zone as well. And the thing with Russell Wilson, regardless of the offensive scheme, he's still going to want to do the play action bomb every now yep. and then. That's just the quarterback he is. He doesn't enjoy, mainly because of his height, he doesn't enjoy hitting the middle of the field for 10, 15 yards. He is very much kind of all or nothing QB. Uh, and I think the new OC will change that. They're going to try and build more concepts in to move horizontally, not just vertically. But I do think that still with Wilson, he's going to be the, the main target deep threat. And, and obviously... Carson as well, not the greatest RB for me. So Wilson does love to throw it in the red zone. And I think DK is the obvious target there just because of the sheer size of him. But yeah, six foot four, two thirty. So uh yeah, we're talking about Raheem Mostert, who's a running back being a little bit too small. Then you go to the other end of the spectrum and have a receiver who's literally built like a tight end but <laughs> runs with a four three. So Yeah, he's, he's amazing. Yeah, I think I uh, I had Jefferson over him for this category. I think I, I prefer Jefferson. Okay. As a player, uh... the thing for Jefferson that scares me, right, is you already just mentioned about how like you have the uh, the position where this year you're looking at Dalvin Cook taken away from uh, from Kirk Cousins throwing yeah. as much. Last year, Justin Jefferson had a very 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 similar season to DK in terms of output, but the thing is he had more like explosions. And I think it got on people's radar. And for the record, to say that he was more explosive on plays than DK Metcalf sounds ridiculous. But in terms of like what he had game-wise, he had a quiet start to the year where week one and two, he basically didn't exist. So just completely chalk that off. Over the rest of the year, he went crazy. He literally only had like five games in the entire season after that where he didn't score more than 15 points. So like, I think Justin Jefferson, if you remember that he didn't really start the first two weeks, he's on people's radar more. And although DK Metcalf is iconic to everyone that plays fantasy, I think you have to pay basically the same price. Like Justin Jefferson is going, his ADP is like, roughly the same as DK. Like It's like the late second, early third, depending yeah. on who you're drafting with. And I just think that Jefferson, if I had to just choose, do I want DK Metcalf or do I want Jefferson? I might take Jefferson higher in terms of the fact that he's safer because he's going to get more volume. But I think DK is the guy who is going to have, when he gets the ball, it goes far. Jefferson is going to be a little bit more successful with getting receptions, but I yeah. think the DK is going to be more efficient and every reception he gets is going to be absolutely impossible to slow him down. Jefferson's yard per catch was 15 last year, which is, I think, like the higher end that he's going to have. Whereas we've now seen two years in a row where DK's at 16. So I think that DK could keep on that pace and Jefferson might get used a little bit more conservatively because he's so talented that I love both players but I think DK is going to finish higher than Jefferson at the end of the year yeah I wouldn't argue I, I, I'm just a big Jefferson fan I think it's a lot of personal understandably and I, so and I also think that the Vikings are going to be way worse so they're going to be chasing games throwing the that's ball that's definitely more. possible definitely possible um, but we'll see I actually quite like the Vikings this year but I know their defense is still going to have its issues it's still the recovering o yeah yeah, so we'll see. I think they they could the, the the young with Ridley. If you add them to to this tier, I know he's above them, but the the young receivers in the league as well. Oh just, mate, it's mental, so, isn't it? Calvin it's Ridley, Justin Jefferson, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, like CD Lamb. Lamb. This is literally like 
a golden era of receivers, and I love it. It's amazing for fantasy and amazing for both dynasty and redraft. Definitely. Um, and speaking of receivers, then let's go into the sleeper categories. You think could get into the top ten? Again, the top ten is not as established as the top five, but yeah, still a little set. bit more difficult yeah. to, to penetrate than running back top ten. I think because when you're looking at um, sorry, I meant quarterback. When we looked at Kirk Cousins and Tua, like all they have to do is be really good and they're top ten. Because like the quarterbacks like squish together quite a lot. Running backs and receivers is harder to do. The receivers, we already talked about how insane the top five is. It doesn't get much easier because outside of that top five, you have Jefferson, Metcalf, like Keenan Allen, Allen Robinson. There are some amazing established names. I think that a name that needs more love, though, and this is going to be a funny one because I've just told you guys how much I love DK Metcalf. <laughs> My first sleeper receiver, who you can get as late as the sixth round. Now, for the record, that's definitely the earliest I'll ever say the word sleeper, but you'll understand the context. Tyler Lockett going in the sixth round is messed up. That's yeah. messed up. Wilson loves him. Dude, Tyler Lockett got a hundred receptions last year. 100. So if you're telling me that he's going to be available for me in the sixth round, I want to just bite your arm off. I'll take him instantly. He is the earliest I would ever, ever consider saying the word sleeper. And I promise you that my other one is nice and late for you guys. But Tyler Lockett needs a shout out. When I wrote Tyler Lockett down, I hadn't even thought about DK yet. Because when you say to me, who's a really good value um, receiver? He's the guy. Tyler Lockett is probably the best value in drafts right now if you are looking fifth round onwards in the entire draft. Like, you've basically got Daryl Henderson and Tyler Lockett are my two picks that I'm always looking at once you get out the first four rounds. And Lockett, I think, is one of the most, like, deceptively reliable receivers because last year, people might have forgotten, I apologize if I cause anyone to remember a shocking, shocking period of time. Last year, at the end of the season... Lockett basically just fell off a cliff. Like, he yeah. was a god for, like, half the year. Then from week 12 through 16, he was terrible. He had one game in the second half of the season after week 12 that was good. He had Week 11 was, like, a solid week, and then week 12 through 16 was terrible, and then week 17, he had one big game to just kind of laugh in the face of the people who he let down. He literally fell off the face of the earth. And I think everyone's still upset about it. But guess what? When other people get upset, that's when you can save yourself some value. Because Tyler Lockett should be going in the fourth round, maybe the early fifth. Last year, this is going to make people laugh because like, we're talking about a guy in the sixth round. Hang on, let me count names. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. I'm looking at like realistically Lockett being drafted is like the 15th or 16th receiver right now based on ADP. Like maybe even lower than that, depending who you draft with last year in PPR, he was wide receiver eight, eight. That is absurd. And the reason for that is because of the way if we flipped it and he started off a little bit weak and then came out strong in the second half, everyone would want to draft him because you have that, that recency bias. But other than that one game in week 17, he's just completely stunk up the last two months. And for the record, we're talking like he only got five catches for 52 yards against the Jets. He didn't do anything against the Giants. He didn't do anything against the Washington football team. Like, we need to talk about these matchups where it feels like the 
Seahawks should be able to do some work, and it just didn't happen. And I think that where someone has a sour taste in their mouth, we should take advantage. And I want to see if I can snag Tyler Lock in the sixth round, and then I'll be very, very happy when it gets to the end of the year, and I have the eighth or ninth receiver in the league. That could be pretty special. The fact I can talk about a sleeper that literally finished last year as number eight, the sixth round is offensive to me. Like I have to draft Lockett when he's there. Yeah, him and Russell have got a great connection. And his problem is injuries. And he did get a little, I think it was a shoulder injury that made him have that production kind of drop off towards the end of the year. And that seems to happen a lot. But the problem is, if you're getting him so deep in the draft, you, the value is insane. And he'll help you get off to a great start because historically, the first like eight weeks of the season, he's insane every year. So I think he's a, he is a very, very good sleeper. Probably the best you're going to get in terms of end up value from from last year. Um, yeah. What was the other name then? I'm interested to know. This the, other the name, guy. I had to make sure that I did not, I didn't take the mick because that first one is about the earliest you'll ever get me to say that they're considered a sleeper. More just because people are sleeping on him, even though he's in the sixth round. So this one, we're going to get a bit more fruity. I genuinely think people need to reconsider Antonio Brown for fantasy mm. football. Now, this one is one that a lot of people are going to go, wait, what? And I understand exactly why. It's from a Raiders fan. <laughs> exactly. Like, I, I, I can't explain to you how upset I was when, AG, uh, sorry, when Antonio Brown came to the Raiders. Like, I was so excited. I was so excited when he came to the Raiders. You have no idea. And, and he throws his foot off. <laughs> he plays one game in the entire season. And it wasn't even for the Raiders. So I was naturally pretty pissed off about that. Made me very, very sad. <laughs> but then 2020, he gets his stuff together. And in week nine, plays his for Bay Buccaneers. His buddy Brady throwing the ball to him. And asked that when the ball gets thrown to Antonio Brown, good things happen. His last game of the regular season last year, and therefore the, your fantasy championship, for the record, if you had Antonio Brown in your fantasy championship team, like congratulations on the win, because he scored 31 points. It was 14 targets, 11 catches, 138 yards, two touchdowns. Now, for the record, I'm not forecasting that as a regular occurrence, <laughs> and the Falcons are not a good defense. But, dude, you cannot see that stat line and not get excited. Like, the fact that he's capable of doing that is all I need to hear. He is a wide receiver on a team with a quarterback who does not have favorites. He doesn't care that wide receiver A is more open than wide receiver B. When he looks at a football field, Tom Brady sees this guy's open, this guy's not. Antonio Brown is going to have an equal chance of catching the ball to Evans and Godwin on the plays where they're all on the field. And that's why he is criminally undervalued right now. Antonio Brown is going later and later. I've seen him in like the 11th round sometimes. I'd target him in the 10th because that's a bit more of a reasonable spot to make sure you don't miss out. But 10th round for a player who nobody will argue has been the best fantasy receiver in the entire league for multiple years. Like he literally went three years in a row best receiver in fantasy football. That's insane. Like, Devontae Adams is amazing, but he hasn't gone three years in a row number one. Antonio Brown did that. 2014 through 16, he was number one. 2017, he was number two. 2018, he was number five. Like, he's just absurdly good. And having him back on a football field, even if he's a bit nuts and everyone wants to laugh at him, if you get a real version of Antonio Brown, 
you will be happier for it. So draft him in the 10th round when you've not really got any major competition. Like, who would you actually rather have? Like, genuinely thinking about these names. Like, would you rather get Michael Pittman Jr. or Antonio Brown? Like, how is that even a question? If you yeah, stay on the straight and narrow with Tampa Bay, which I think is much easier because of uh, the nature of the relationship he has with Brady. Brady's like that mentor that can say, look, we're going to calm down, we're going to play it straight, and we're going to make sure that we win some football games. I think Antonio Brown has a genuine chance, like a completely genuine chance, to be like a top 15 to 20 range receiver in the 10th round. That is really good value and my favorite sleeper receiver in the entire draft right now. Yeah, I think he had his own injury worries as well last year, didn't he, at the start of the season. So this would be as, well, from reports so far, this would be his healthiest camp in like three seasons. So you'd like to think that this is going to be a big one. And he took another cheap deal as well. So if he does want to make money, this is going to be the year he wants ahead of a, a season before Brady maybe has his last couple of years and you can move on and get paid somewhere else. So I agree. I think Yeah, his, he's, his... he's 33, but he's still absurdly talented. So he, he has a couple of years left in him if he wants them. Yeah, high motivation for him as well. So I like it. I know... The only issue is target share, like you said, but I agree. I think you're going to have the odd week here where it's going to be insane. I think when you're talking about the, the area of the draft he's going in, it's boom or bust, isn't it? And I think exactly, you're not going to get a consistent guy in the tenth. So, but yeah, no. and that that that's what it. this is all about: sleeper receiver that you could actually genuinely put in for a week and have thirty points. Even just the possibility of that is great. So, especially yeah. if he plays the Falcons. <laughs> that's the plan. <laughs> that's that's, that's got to be one to keep an eye out for. Definitely. Cool. All right, let's move on to, to tight ends then. Uh, we're only going to do one for this because we're running a bit long and we did say last week about the uh, the lack of tight ends. So yes. let's go for one for each. Give us your favourite guy that you think, not in that top four or five that everybody knows, but could end up being there this season. Who have you got? Yeah, so like you say, we're not going to be talking anywhere near as long because they're just not as good. But I actually secretly have a lot of love for Noah Fan. He is currently that borderline guy where you have the top three that are absolutely elite no one argues with that then you have like your tj hawkinson mark andrews carl pitts where everyone's like going mental just because there's tight ends that are actually going to be good because obviously once kittle and waller are gone you basically just have to scrap and then behind them it just goes into a free-for-all and i think noah fan in the seventh or eighth round depending how lucky you get is probably my favorite value behind that He's a tight end that could be a top five tight end if everything goes perfectly. Now, for the record, that five is going to be real hard to break into because the top three is guaranteed if injuries don't mess it up. And then you've got Mark Andrews and TJ Hawkinson, I believe, are four and five automatic as well. But if anyone can do it, it's a version of Noah Fan that stays healthy and dominates the target share as much as he's capable of. I'm not even going to pretend that I can give you some amazing, crazy numbers that are going to justify Noah Fan. But, like, it's the potential. When you give him the ball, he is good at catching it and good at running around with it. Like, it, it sounds it sounds patronizing, but his ability to just get a ball and run around. Tight ends aren't normally that fast and athletic. They're not normally that big and strong as well as being fast and athletic. Like, last year, he was literally a top 10 tight end. Everyone assumes that he's not that good because he's just this, this haphazard, not the best, meh tight end in people's heads but i'm not being funny no tight ends are that great right now outside the top five and this guy could actually finally make a play to see if he can get in that mix as well so no offense my favorite tight end outside the five yeah very high on the relative athletic score as well i think that's just what he is he's a pure athlete and yeah I mean, injuries are really worrying 
But um, any preference on if they... It looks like they're going to go Teddy Bridgewater, but do you have an opinion on it, which QB they went with would actually be better for no fan at all? Or you think similar regardless? That is a great question, and I wish I could answer it better, but the, because neither of those <laughs> QBs are amazing, it just kind of honestly... Whoever is playing better... I'm happy for the Broncos to say, let's play him. Like, I'm honestly happy for Vic Fangio to just make that decision for me. Because I just want whoever's going to play better football in that exact moment, because I think Noah Fan will succeed with either or neither, depending on how they play. <laughs> yeah, like, that's a good way to put it. I think my head says that Drew Locke is better for him. I wouldn't play Drew Locke personally, but better for him just because of the the idea of having long touchdowns, because Noah Fan does get vertical. Yeah, to be fair, he is very, he's a very good field stretcher. So maybe a little mark benefit from Locke, but I'd be comfortable either way yeah. and he's uh he's probably borderline top five automatically just from not being completely terrible <laughs> and that's just the nature of tight ends this year yeah and but the other side I guess he could get more receptions with Teddy because Teddy's not going to th- throw as many interceptions yeah exactly it's, it's so. kind of it's one of those it's a, it's a bit of a swings and roundabout situation but I uh, I think that he could be good yeah, I agree. I, I like him. He's very talented. And also, as a Chiefs fan, but well, and a Raiders fan, we see him quite a lot, and uh, he is very Sadly. good against very good against safeties and linebackers for sure. Uh, cool. Well, let's go with a sleeper then that isn't that yeah. high up on the board. We're, we're, we're really finishing strong here. Sleeper yeah. tight ends. <laughs> um, yeah, no. So let's be honest, guys. You want to get a tight end that's in the top twelve because there's only twelve teams and tight ends are really bad. But you might want to get a couple tie-ins so that you have some upside if it goes right. So if you say you've got, like, I don't know, you're Noah fan, or maybe you've got, like, a, a Logan Thomas or a Rob Gronkowski or whatever as your tie-end one, a guy that I love in terms of opportunity to be amazing, Jonu Smith. If anyone has been a fan of mine and has come along to this... Uh, this podcast because of me. I'm, I'm sure that there's not too many of you, but thank you if that is the case. Everyone who's read anything I've ever written knows I love Johnny Smith to a full. To a full. I adore this man. I put him in a dynasty team three years ago and the dynasty folded after one year. And then the next year, Johnny starts having good games. I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is unacceptable. And last year, everybody doesn't, like no one needs me to tell them this, but last year, Johnny looked amazing for a little while. After week five, he was the number one tight end in fantasy. He was amazing. 11.6, 22.4, 8.6, 18.5 after, uh, after just missing one game in that week four. He missed a game and was still top one. Like, when he actually plays with some volume and some inclusion in an offense, he's great. So, what do we do? We send him to a team that has two tight ends. It's a nightmare, and everyone has immediately got bored and given up on Johnny. But I'm not quite ready to give up yet, because while everyone else is looking at Hunter Henry and saying, "Oh, look, Hunter Henry, he used to be great. Let's try and see if he's going to be good." One, Hunter Henry got banged up and hasn't played in the preseason since. Two, Johnny Smith is more of a athletic option than Hunter Henry. He's a little bit shorter, a little bit quicker, and much more fast over longer distances. So while Hunter Henry is your traditional tight end where he's a bit bit slower but can make some possession catches, he's a nice, comfortable guy receiving the ball and getting a lot of catches, like, Jonu could actually be a game-breaker if they give him the right volume. And so you draft him early. If Hunter Henry's having a tough start to the year, whether it's because of injury or just not being as good as maybe they were expecting, Jonu has the chance to become a top 12 tight end 
in the like 13th or 14th round of your draft. I'm not going to pretend that I have loads of in-depth analytics that says it's definitely going to happen, but that's the point of a sleeper. The point is that if it goes right, it's amazing. And if it doesn't, you didn't pay too much in the first place. So Johnny Smith is a guy that I like throwing onto my bench, literally last pick of a draft sometimes, and just have that option that if Hunter Henry isn't playing, you have a great option. And if he is, you still might have a bit of upside to pop in each week here and there. And uh, yeah, if you're playing in a league like us, two idiots decide to play two tight end leagues, God help you. He's actually a genuinely nice option to have on your team just because he is talented, if not as involved as we'd like him to be. Yeah, I like that one. I, I like Irv Smith from the Vikings. I won't go into any detail, but I like him for the same reason, that there's some athleticism there. There's some yeah, red zone potential. Uh, and I do think if people are playing two high coverages against two receivers and the Vikings haven't got any other receivers, I think that you could see a little bit of a benefit there from the time. And I think Smith's the same, to be honest. I think Henry will be the tight end one in people's eyes until they realise that John, how good Johnny is and, and that he'll get a lot of... I think the running game as well, they're going to stack boxes and then you could see someone like Johnny Smith getting out in the pass game out of that. So I think there's some good names there. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, we don't want to end it on tight ends. Never. You would never, ever want to do that. That can't be the way. Terrible, terrible idea. <laughs> so let's end it with your top 10 dynasty rankings. Um, similar to what we did last time, just read us through your list, one through 10, uh, and we'll see, we'll see what we think. So this, this list is assuming that you're drafting. Because obviously there's a whole argument of like running backs and receivers fighting over who you should draft first at Dynasty. This is if I am sat down to actually draft a team, my rankings, because I know everyone will be upset that receivers aren't higher than running backs, etc. But here they are. My top, my top 10 are Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, then, this is where it gets confusing. <laughs> Devontae Adams. Nice. Tyreek Hill. Justin Jefferson. My guy. Stephon Diggs. Saquon Barkley. How many have I done? I think I'm on eight. I think That's, I'm eight. On eight. That's eight, yeah. And then I throw in Calvin Ridley, which might be a little bit... Bit of a bit of a spanner in the works. People might have thought that was a bit too early, and then uh, and then Alvin Kamara to to round it out. I like it. That's like... for the record. That's full PPR is where I played my dynasty. So you can throw in you can throw in some slight tweaks here and there if you want to change up PPR. But there you go. That's that's what I've got for you. I like it. I like it. And Does actually, any thrown... of those stand out there that I you you thought I was off, or are you fairly happy with those? Well, I love Ridley. Uh, I think he could have the, the the highest. I think in terms of receiving yards for the whole NFL this year and next year, he could be right up there, depending on how good Pitts is. He, just, he, he had to sneak in for me. I, I I like him too much as a talent. And I'm not going to lie, DK Metcalf and CD Lamb are both barking at the door as well, directly outside that. But I think for Dynasty, like people overestimate age sometimes. Yeah. Like. I personally think that I'd still rather have Calvin Ridley than C.D. Lamb, even though there is a three-year age gap. I still think that you need to remember that just sometimes talent is talent. Also, I will give a little honorary mention. I probably would look at drafting Travis Kelsey in the top 10 if you have a tight end premium to tight end league, which is one of the leagues I'm in. Like I said, don't necessarily take our advice of actually joining one of those leagues, <laughs> but it was worth a little shout because if you're in a league where Titan Premium is part of it, Travis Kelsey will go very, very early, and you need to be ready for that. 
Yeah, I agree. I'm not going to uh, turn down any positive Kelsey talk on a podcast. <laughs> Naturally, sure. I thought that might not that might be a great way to finish. We do talk about tight ends at the end, but not in the not in the same way that the sleeper tight end felt a little bit dirty. No, I like it. Travis Kelsey is always a good way to end it. Um, again, I know you said last time. Do you want to tell everyone your your Twitter handle for anyone that wants yes. to go see any writing or any tweets you do during the season? I'm sure there'll be a lot of Raiders tweets. Yes. tweets people follow. Of course, my my Twitter is at Tyler J Arthur. And uh, my Twitter will show anything that I do, whether I do it on a different platform or anything. It will always make sure I, I pop it on my Twitter. So whether it's a, a post for a specific website or whatever, you can uh, you can always find it there. So anything I do will always be on my Twitter. And uh, obviously, thanks again for having me. It's, uh, it's just been really fun. No worries. And I know uh, there's a few Madden-related tweets that will come from Tyler's account. Of course. There. Always, always. Um, Madden fans. We got a lot of them on the pod from a segment there we did we before. Go. So they'll love that. Uh, and a bit of good news as well. The plan, we're, we're going to see how it goes timing-wise. The plan is to get Tyler to, to appear on uh, a weekly segment we're going to do, uh, probably on a Sunday. We haven't confirmed that yet, but probably on a Sunday. Uh, just some start and sit stuff for fantasy. So every Sunday you're going to hear Tyler's voice in some format, so that should be good. Uh, remember to go follow us at, at GoFor2Pod on Twitter. Uh, we always tweet all of our latest stuff out there. Me and Patrick are going to be back next week to do our final preview for the season where we predict who's going to win every award and who's going to be the seven playoffs team for each conference. So that should be a fun one. Uh, so yeah, go follow us, go tweet us, tell us your opinions on the episode, and we will speak to you soon. We'll be right back.